this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, when Bridget and I took the helm of Stuff Mom Never Told You, you all welcomed us with such open arms. And you answered our request to be friends in such a warm and positive way. We appreciate that, Sminty listeners. Despite the fact that we had some pretty big shoes to fill, didn't we, babe? Huge shoes. Very big shoes. <laughs> and you may be familiar with the co-host that predated us, the original creator of Stuff Mom Never Told You, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin, her co-host, are now back here in studio with us to talk about their exciting new podcast, Unladylike, that is dropping this week. So for a sminty universe coming together, all four of us, we are so excited to have a conversation today about what it means to be unladylike in 2018. Kristen and Caroline, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having us, y'all. Thank you. And I did bring my really big shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm probably going to need something in them, like big socks to help them stay on, on my feet. <laughs> I would also like to go on the record and say that y'all have filled those shoes and then some. Y'all have been terrific. A delight. <laughs> oh, y'all are we so could, kind. We couldn't, have left our, we couldn't have left our shoes with better feet. <laughs> I like this. I like this feet and shoe metaphor that we've established <laughs> early on. How long? Yeah, is it? it's making a percentage of the population really happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever shoe fetish, foot fetish people out there. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's see how long we can keep the metaphor going, y'all. <laughs> I am excited to learn everything we can about unladylike. So tell us what is what is the gist behind your new show? What does it mean to be unladylike to you? So the podcast is all about what happens when women break the rules, the societal garbage patriarchy rules about how women are supposed to be, women-identified women. Um, and we basically want to take a sledgehammer to all of that by talking to actual women-identified women out there who are breaking the rules, sisters doing it for themselves, and as podcast veterans, I mean, y'all have been around the block when it comes to the art and the exploding world of podcasting. What do you hope to do with the new show to sort of mix things up for you? I think we we really wanted to bring in more voices. That was like number one. Um, we had heard each other's voices a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like... Basically, I was like tired of hearing my own voice. Sick of it. <laughs> I was tired of hearing Kristen's voice. <laughs> Um, so we wanted to bring in more real humans to share their experiences because when we were on Sminty, we had definitely gotten used to specifying for listeners that, hey, like, we're not the experts. We are not every woman. We can't speak for every woman. But here's like here's what we've learned from our research. So we still wanted to be able to present research, context, history of a topic but bring in those voices that had experienced whatever the topic was, had lived it. I also think that the uh, the hellscape that was the election of 2016 really shaped the direction, too, as to cisgender, straight, privileged white women of, like, wanting to decenter ourselves, too, in the conversations and get better at listening. Um, so we, we were really excited to... 
to yeah find some stories and like talk talk to ladies about what's really going on. That sounds awesome. I love the idea of sort of building a cacophony of women's voices and sort of having all those different experiences come together to sort of, you know, form a chorus and sort of tell those important stories that aren't being told. One question that I have for y'all is, you mentioned at the top of the show that you really wanted to focus on the idea of what happens when women don't fit into, you know, the stereotypical notion of what it means to be a woman. What happens when a woman breaks the rules? Why was that such an important story to tell for y'all? Well, I think for one, um, we were sick of that burden ourselves from like a personal perspective. I was tired of wearing bras. (laughs) (laughs) Stilettos to bed, no more. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I think um, we felt it. We felt the burden of uh, expectations of women and femininity. We had talked about it, read about it, researched it, lived it, breathed it for so many years uh, on Sminty as well. And I think in, in, in our desire to bring in more voices and wondering like, okay, well, what voices are we going to bring in and what do they have in common? You know, it's like, yeah, we can just talk to cool women all day, but what is the thread? And the thread is that they are throwing off those expectations. They aren't going to sit there and behave in whatever way is expected. You know, they might not even be likable. Uh, but they are whatever they're doing in their field, in their work, whatever it is, they are sort of doing the unexpected. And I think more broadly, just as feminists, um, it, it requires constantly breaking the rules and acting out and acting up, um, being loud. And it can be really uncomfortable, obviously, like as girls, we are so socialized to color within the lines, um, stay clean and pretty, et cetera. Uh, but it's a time to break all the rules because mm-hmm. the rules will not protect us. Well, <laughs> we have learned. Exa- well, yeah, exactly. The rules won't protect us. And I think, you know, we've seen this deluge of think pieces, for instance, lately about women's anger, uh, especially in the wake of the election. And people seem to be commenting on women's anger a lot. Uh, and that to me is very unladylike because it's not as if women have never been angry, like, right? I mean, we're, <laughs> we've always like ha- been able to get angry, but women's anger is something that's typically feared or dismissed or, or stereotyped. Yeah, or stereotyped. And so I, I feel like that's that cultural moment of like, oh my God, women are getting angry and loud is such a great thing to be happening in tandem with us launching unladylike because that's, not that we're going to talk about rage all the time, but that's sort of the but we're undercurrent. we're generally pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a cranky jerk. I am curious, though, Emily and Bridget, um, uh, I, I'm, I'd love to bounce the ball back to y'all in terms of unladylike because it's always kind of a fun convo to find out, like, when you say unladylike, what other, how other women relate to it. And um, since y'all are also so steeped in activism and feminism and all the all the isms and gender what what do y'all do y'all feel like we're living in an unladylike era that's a big question i feel like the nature of the term is an inverse one right so unladylike it's a rejection of a role which i think is really interesting you know me i love i love a good word with the word boss in it i like <laughs> i feel like the reason bossed up is the name of my company is because i like the framework of here's the power I'm taking for myself. Here's mm. here's not what I'm rejecting. Here's what I'm owning. And I think they both have a really important role in the feminist dialogue and in 
shaping your own role for yourself and owning what you want and what you don't want. And so there's a part of it to me that's very, I think Caroline really hit on a nerve there. It's really angry. It's really mm-hmm. at its core. It's about saying no. Uh, another word I love to use quite a bit. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think the term unladylike really does uh, strike a, a negative chord in that you're throwing off expectations, which I think is quite cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's very deep. I think it's <laughs> like hmm, interesting. Uh, I didn't mean to get us too philosophical. Yeah, this is this is now. I swear we're not stoned, like having like an in-depth. Like, <laughs> but what does it really mean, though, man? No. I mean, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I, I I really identify with what you said about sort of this this groundswell of anger and rage and frustration that women have been feeling. But I like to think that women have been unladylike and angry and mean and salty and bitchy and pissy, rightfully so, since forever, right? Like, my entire thing has been looking at women who weren't likable, who weren't nice, who weren't sweet. And those are the women I always was really interested in and identified with. And so, you know, as a kid, I remember when we were trying out for the school play, we were doing Snow White, and I badly wanted to be the queen. We were doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I wanted to be Veruca Saw, the, like, really bratty, <laughs> annoying girl, because that was rare. Like, I understood that you were supposed to not like those characters because they were female and they were unlikable. And so my whole life I've been drawn to this idea that women who are angry and ragey and have something to say and aren't always super nice are the ones to sort of look out for and be interested in. And so I would argue that all throughout history, we've seen women like that who don't give a and don't care if they piss you off. And I think now more than ever, that's okay. Those women are saying, you know, we've played nice and tried to, you know, couch what I wanted to say in sort of nice language and, you know, pretty, you know, I've, I've learned how to be likable and say what I have to say without, you know, hurting your feelings. And I think now women are saying, no, I'm going to say it. And if it hurts your feelings, it hurts your feelings and you can deal with it. I am super excited to dive more into the business behind your new podcast. Because as we know, leaving a big network like How Stuff Works is no easy feat. Y'all struck out on your own. Unladylike is your own brand that you've launched. And the launch of this podcast is a huge milestone in the sort of journey that y'all have been on as creatives. We're going to dive more into that after this quick break. more about how you got to this point, Kristen and Caroline. You were with How Stuff Works hosting and creating Stuff Mom Never Told You for so long. You're veterans of the industry. What is it like to feel like scrappy startup entrepreneurs again? <laughs> like, how did that feel? How was that journey? It was exciting. Um, it was something that we had a lot of energy, both from a creative standpoint of wanting to try new things production-wise and also politically, as we've just been talking about. Uh, So on a lot of different levels, just bringing a lot of energy to it Um, and also getting to meet a new part of the podcast world Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of learning more about the craft it is scrappy, though. I think that's a good word to describe it. <laughs> yeah. I only say it, that as having gone through the process myself. Oh, You've yeah. got to oh, be yeah. scrappy to start something new. Totally. totally. Absolutely. And it, it's, I think we, you know, as with anything that you're starting that's new, if you're going in a new direction, you don't know what you don't know. And so we definitely did strike out on our own th- 
with certain expectations about how quickly we would be able to do things and and what we would be able to do. And it was definitely a big ship to steer. And I I say that, and it sounds like, well, duh, you like launched a company and a new show, but. I think in our heads, or in my head at least, it's like, oh yeah, we'll be able to do this. It's you know going to be super snappy, mm. and uh, well, it also, I mean, it, it makes me think like less about the kind of the work ahead because it was like, okay, we're going to make a new podcast, we're going to write this book, we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna make some content. Let's do it. <laughs> but it was so much of um, the work wife relationship too, of learning how to work with each other on a. On a deeper level, mm-hmm. honestly, like a very like wifely Kristen, level. We are very legally bound now. <laughs> we, I think, Kristen and I are just about more married than she and her husband are. But yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely it's been a lesson in like work wifing for sure, but also just interpersonal stuff in general. I mean, like Kristen has had to fully understand how much I come to rely on emojis to understand tone and communication. For instance, gotta have those emojis. It's a major part of my work life. <laughs> Bridget and I solely text with emojis. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, our primary communication methodology. I get it. So I'm curious, can you take us through your creative process a little bit? You, you spoke to the idea of having a really good working relationship and sort of understanding how each other functions and works. What is what does the creative process look like for Unladylike? So the creative process with developing Unladylike, the podcast, started with our elevator pitch of... We want to make something that feels like Amy Poehler and Samantha Bee hosted This American Life. So we want to do a little more narrative stuff to uh, explore that level of audio production. And again, like talk to more people um, and still be able to flex our nerdy feminist muscles at the same time. Um, so we kind of had that spark and... As y'all know from stuff I've never told you, like the research that it entails, like we kind of walked in with like a head full of like we know how to research and we know a lot of stuff about gender. And um, now we're going to kind of repackage it in in new ways. Yeah. Part of the part of the building up creative process has definitely been learning to package all of that research and gumption and scrappiness into something listenable uh, that has an arc, uh, that has a narrative, that has, you know, a couple of different acts in it because we are so lucky to be working with, like, radio veterans and podcast veterans um, in our production team and our editorial team. And uh, they've definitely played a huge role in helping us guide that so that we're not just, you know, throwing a bunch of research spaghetti at the wall. And I would say that day to day, the um, the really <laughs> helpful thing about our work wife relationship is that we are both obviously interested in a lot of the same things we um actually like often show up at each other's houses wearing very similar outfits. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> um, the men in our lives are kind of carbon copies of each other. <laughs> but uh when it comes to like workflow and tasks, we naturally gravitate toward different things, different but complementary things. Um and that's been a really helpful thing to to discover and kind of like delegate naturally between us so that we're not both just like trying to do the same thing at the same mm-hmm. time. Awesome. And I, I imagine that must be helpful in terms of your company writ large. So one of my favorite parts of you launching the Unladylike brand are your newsletters. Can you tell us 
all the different pieces that go into how you envision Unladylike really supporting women and girls and providing the kind of content, as one might call it in our industry, or information that you might want to get out into the world. Like, there's lots of forms that you're taking with that, correct? Right. And I think one of our main overarching approaches is that we want to create things and put things out in the world that can help stave off hopelessness and exhaustion. I I think it's so easy. It's so easy. Emily, you know, you talk about burnout. It's so easy to feel like, oh, my God, like I've been through the ringer. Things are terrible. What can I even do? So we don't want to just create a bunch of stuff that's telling you how terrible it is. It's telling you that there are sexists and racists in the world. We want to contextualize that information and then shore it up with some good news and some inspirational stuff and some actual steps that you can take. So that's sort of like the guiding force around all the stuff we create. And a big uh, a big focus with the newsletter in particular is uh, there's a section actually good news <laughs> for all those reasons that Caroline stated, which was also just like selfishly a little bit of self-preservation of like, I just I don't want to read about <laughs> Trump anymore today, but also wanting to make sure that we are keeping an eye on things happening with women and girls outside of our own backyards and on a global scale. Um, and we can always do better with that. But trying to, like, showcase the work of women who don't look like us and keep intersectionality at the forefront as much as we can. I think that's so important. And just like you were saying, it's so important to not feel like you're just throwing a lot of bad news at people and overwhelming them because then they just shut down and they think there's nothing I can do. We're all going to die. Everything is awful. (laughs) And why even bother? Why even get out of bed? Right? Like if you just give people so much bad news, they almost sort of can't function. And when I was working at Planned Parenthood, we, in, in our online newsletters, usually it was an entire newsletter of all this awful stuff, but we always had a section called getting us through. So it doesn't matter if it's just a cute baby in a sweatshirt or like a, a dog. Where like it could be the dumbest thing, but if it's something positive that this is the, what's getting me through all this bad news, even just ending on that can be really, really powerful. Yeah, and actionable. That's always been super important to me. It's like one thing to pepper in all the real news with a cute animals being bros kind of gif or like unlikely <laughs> friendships, which is a, you know, but. But being able to say concretely, remember on the end of the year episode, we one of the things that our listeners responded to the most was our advice to save your elected officials numbers in your cell phones Mm -hmm. just to make it easier to take action all year round. For me, I'm always focused on, okay, what can I do with this information to have a real practical, tactical impact in what's happening in the world and also make it easy. <laughs> like, don't make me work too hard, but make it make it impactful, make it resourceful, and make it an opportunity to to act on our shared values. So I really love hearing that. That's that's the direction you're taking this in. Yeah, totally. Um, and it could be as simple as like if we write a blurb in the newsletter about something, just tacking on a little thing at the end that's like, hey, if you want to learn more and donate, go here. Because I know when I'm consuming online media, it's so easy to get so lazy and just be like, oh, there's that terrible thing again. But if you if you force feed me, you know, spoon feed me the the ability to actually help or do something actionable, I'm more likely to do it. So what can you tell us about 
the book. Because when you all left Stuff Mom Never Told You, you made the big announcement that you were having a book baby. And I know <laughs> things are still a little under wraps about that, so you can't tell us too much about it. But is there anything you can share for the aspiring authors who might be listening to this about what the co-authorship process was like for you or anything else we can expect to hear on the unladylike book front? It was very intense. Yeah, um, I've actually talked to, this is to put listeners' minds at ease. Like, I've actually talked to other writers and creators, and um, I have a novelist family friend who's churned out a couple of amazing books, and they all pretty much say the same thing, which is, like, you'll love creating and you'll feel driven to write, but in the moment, it feels like the hardest, grossest, worst thing in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where we were of like, we love what we're doing and we can't wait to share this with people and we love the research, but it's the, it is the actual like book birthing process that is so just like, oh my God, please, I'm going to run away. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's written a book who's like, I just love the writing process. Our, our <laughs> editor even, even consultant told us a couple of times of like, no, really, this sucks. Like, this is, this is not the fun part. I got to say, though, in the throes of all of the manuscripting, it was super arduous, as it should be. I mean, you're writing a book. Um, but afterwards, it does feel so good. Yeah. And the fact that we were really passionate and still are obviously really passionate about the subject matter kept us going. Uh, it also, again, like helps that we were fueled post-election to write this guide to smashing the patriarchy and claiming your space because it feels more necessary than ever before. Um, So, yeah, it was it was a wild process. And Caroline and I literally like split the manuscript in two and went our separate ways and did our research kind of like we would do with podcast prep of like, oh, let's pick a topic and go and read and then we'll come back and share. Um, And that was... That was an interesting kind of way for us to also learn what each other gravitates towards mm-hmm. in our respective work processes, too. I mean, 2017 was just a huge, huge year of learning right. that I'm glad is behind me, but also was invaluable. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a Kardashian quote like, a year of many life lessons. That was a Kylie Kardashian. Or <laughs> Kylie Jenner. It seems like everyone is, it's the year of people realizing things. Realizing things. That sounds like your 2017. Yes. See, that was my 2017. Realizing yes. things. I mean, honestly, kind of true. <laughs> Let's talk more about how you're using your new podcast to help everybody realize things after this quick break. And we're back. And I'm so curious. Can you tell us what your premiere episode of Unladylike will be all about? So we, uh, we really have been working on it off and on for a year since it was the pilot episode. And, um, we decided on abortion because, hey, if we're gonna call ourselves Unladylike, let's just come out of the gate with a convo about abortion. Just a casual um, chat. You know. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Just a little fireside chat, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and specifically, we're focusing in on the money aspect of how people actually pay for abortions, how much they cost, which is just like such a maze that we didn't realize was even there. Um, and we learned a lot. We yeah. Learned a lot. And we had we had no desire to talk about like. 
the arguments for and against abortion. We had no desire to discuss the hand wringing and the ethics and the morality and and you know any any of that. Yeah, because it's like, yo, uh, abortion is legal. Yeah. Okay, so how do for we get now. one? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, like, let's not give any of that any space in our brains. It's legal. People get them, but they get them in different ways. How do they pay for them and how much do they cost? Because we also realize, like, oh, hey, we're a pair of women who are super pro-choice. We're in our 30s. We're not exactly sure how much abortion costs. And the more we talk to women, like, everyone seemed to have a story of, like, a lot of times it was like, well, yeah, I had to be, I, I remember that because I was late on rent that month because I had to pay for the abortion because a lot of times it's paid out of pocket. And then, of course, like, Bridget, I'm sure you know well, like, all of the restrictions that ultimately just make it more and more and more expensive. Um, so it's it's really uh, startling how abortion is kind of a luxury procedure in this country. So yeah, that was that's our pilot. And we brought a little clip for y'all if you want if you want a sneak peek. We'd Let's love hear that. it. We'd love that. Well, uh, I got pregnant the classy way on the floor of an Amtrak train in the handicapped bathroom. And I propose this if you are having sex on the floor of an Amtrak train in a handicapped bathroom, maybe you're not ready to be a mother. I was 20. Most people would consider that unladylike. I just say I'm a good time. Um, <laughs> I'm a fun person. Trail was so not ready to have a kid, but thankfully she had like basically the ultimate connection in this situation. My mother, super, she's the best woman in the world. She's a nurse. Nurses are the sweetest people in the world. And... <laughs> You know, being raised by a nurse, uh, I knew that I could tell her. I was like, hey, I'm pregnant. And the next words out of her mouth were, what do you want to do? And that that choice that she gave me immediately, I just breathed a huge sigh of relief, like waiting to exhale, Terry McMillan style, just got it all out. And, and I was like, wow, okay. So I decided to have the abortion. Yeah, this is just the start for Joyelle. Her mom did even more. She set everything up with a doctor friend to handle the procedure pro bono. She got a pro bono abobo. <laughs> the pro bono abobos is my new dream band. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but hold up now. So what you're telling me, though, is that Joyelle's mom hooked her up with, I'm saying this in all caps, listeners, a free abortion on demand. Oh, yeah. And... She didn't have to go to an abortion clinic. Her appointment was in a generic medical office building. So that meant that when she showed up, there wouldn't be any protesters. You know, there were no people waving signs, nothing like that. Uh, Joyelle might as well have been going to the dentist. It was a medical office building. I walked in, go up. It's really nice. You know, nice waiting room. Very quiet. I think I might have been the only person there. He might have opened just for me. I'm not sure. Um, Go in. And in the room, there was an anesthesiologist and my doctor. So I, the next thing I knew, I woke up and and I had like, I don't know, apple juice and <laughs> graham crackers or something. My other friends have said, you don't get put to sleep regularly. I mean, getting anesthesia is a luxury. You don't get put to sleep for an abortion because the procedure is very, very quick. And they have to, you know, be awake and feeling that. You got to feel the vacuum. I didn't have to feel that. 
And to quickly clarify, the vacuum that Joyelle is referencing is uh, the vacuum aspiration abortion, also known as the surgical abortion, which is super common, super safe. And Joyelle was under general anesthesia for it. So I, I know that's just extra, extra privilege on top of privilege. I just got to wake up, didn't see a bill. It was amazing. So... This might have been the first time I've ever heard someone describe their abortion as amazing. Yeah, me too. But Caroline, let's be real. If people have a haunting experience of abortion, there's a good chance it had nothing to do with the emotional, religious, or whatever other pressures women experience, and more to do with the money. Wow. As the daughter of a nurse, first of all, shout out to everything that she just said about having a nurse mama. Because that is a privilege unlike anything other. And you you know what I'm talking about, Bridget. Yeah, my mom's a doctor. She's a, pedi- a pediatrician, beloved in our town. My mom's the kind of doctor that when she walks down the street, people run out of shops to give her hugs. So I get it. I get the vibe of having a really strong mama bear that is involved in the medical community. Mm. Also, nurses have that sort of don't mess with me vibe yeah. where don't come for their kid, don't yeah. mess with their kid. Like, you don't want to mess with a nurse. Yeah. And if there was anyone who I'd want to, like, walk me through this and support me through that, it will be a mom who is a medical professional. So I definitely identify with that. Yeah, and it's such an important privilege to point out of how rare this is. Like, if you don't have a family member who can get you a medical hookup, this is a huge obstacle in terms of access. So how can our listeners tune in for the premiere? I'm sure we want to hear the rest of that episode and where you take it from there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just search Unladylike. You can also find us on Stitcher or anywhere you like to listen to your podcasts. Um, you can also head over to our website, unladylike.co slash podcast, where you can get even more details and listen to the trailer. Um, and you can find us everywhere on social at Unladylike Media. Awesome. So where are you hoping to take Unladylike next? You've got your premiere coming out this week. What are your wildest ambitions for getting Unladylike? We're going to Hollywood! (laughs) (laughs) Speaking personally, I don't want to speak for your ambition, Caroline. Sure. (laughs) Far be it from me. Uh, One of my wildest ambitions for the show is to share the stories that you didn't know that you needed to hear and to... um, to really break ground in the women's podcasting realm, because there are obviously so many amazing like women-focused and gender and feminism-focused podcasts out there, but there's still so much more room for us to explore and so many more stories out there to be told. And I'm just pumped to go talk to people. Yeah, I'm. I'm so ready to create like an army of action-minded. People, humans in general, sentient to, humans, sentient human beings. Although, if robots want to join us, they can. Just please don't kill us. <laughs> um, but no, I, I really, I, I, you know, I loved. That was one of my favorite parts of of participating in Sminty was having that community and totally. and being able to talk to people and hear their stories. Like, what a privilege! Talk about privilege, right? Like to be able to to hear from people who've lived the stuff that you've only researched. And um, so I hope to build up our own community with Unladylike as well, and then use that underlying principle of of <laughs> anger <laughs> and action to to move forward together. And I I just really hope that listeners derive a sense of empowerment to use a very overused 
overused term. But to your point earlier, Emily, about um, making things actionable, um, hopefully, like, by hearing women, like, living their lives and, and doing the damn thing, whether people want them to or not, can give people a sense of hope and a sense that, hey, you can put one foot in front of the other, two, we're all in this together, and let's get unladylike. <laughs> well, sign us up for the unladylike angry mob of women. We will be right there <laughs> with you on the front lines. And listeners, we want to hear from you. What does it mean to be unladylike in 2018? And Kristen and Caroline, thanks so much for coming back to your old uh, your old stomping grounds to hang out with us on the pod. Oh, we love it. Y'all, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it's been we, fun talking. We appreciate it so much. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. And as always, we love reading your emails at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Mm-hmm.